You are live with Get Connected. I'm your host, Mike Agarba. We are Canada's number one tech radio program. And we have a, a great show for you today. We will uh, be talking uh, about uh, privacy. Uh, I think uh, this is uh, an important topic, of course. Uh, CBC uh, Marketplace uh, recently uh, did a, a secret shopper uh, thing with taking uh, some uh, devices in for repair, uh, a phone and also uh, a computer to various computer shops across the country. Uh, they had some, uh, I guess, monitoring software on these devices to see where the repair techs uh, went. Did they uh, check out their private info? Well, uh, I, I'm sure you're probably not surprised at what happened there. We're going to talk about that and what you can do to kind of lock down some of your private stuff if you do have to take uh, your devices uh, in. We'll also be talking about uh, the latest uh, computer chips uh, from Intel and uh, how they're incorporating AI into that uh, as well. And speaking of uh, AI, we've uh, we've seen a, a few uh, instances uh, of this uh, where new songs uh, have been made uh, from artists that didn't make them. Drake would be uh, a great example. Eminem was uh, uh, another one. Well, looks like... Uh, YouTube is trying to do deals with the the publishing companies to, I guess, license popular artists' voice so that creators can use them to create new music. I've got my good friend Carmi Levy with me today uh, in studio. Thanks for joining me, Carmi. Thanks for having me. Uh, we got a pretty action-packed show. I'm going to start off with uh, AI once uh, again, and this was kind of an interesting uh, story that came up this week. A really popular tool are these uh, text-to-image uh, engines where you can basically type in, I want uh, a cat skateboarding, uh, you know, holding a, a tuna. Anything you can imagine, you can type it in and these uh, these AI tools can, can make it and sometimes with stunning results. But for them to know how to do that, they had to get that information somewhere. So, it, you know, it, it seems that they, they basically, as you've uh, pointed out before, Carmi, hoovered the uh, the internet uh you know to get all the images they could to train these uh, ai models but now uh, it looks like humans are fighting back there's some new tools uh, for artists that they can use to essentially poison their images so that uh, ai models can't uh scrape them uh, to learn how to uh to draw and this is a, it's a watershed moment and i say this as a photographer in my spare time I've shot professionally in the past. I no longer do, but I'm still an avid photographer. And a lot of my work is out there. I, I, I've been posting it for years, and certainly I'm sure some of it has ended up scooped up by one of these large language models and incorporated into these uh, image, uh, AI imagery tools. Um, and it's frightening because you, you don't quite know uh, under what circumstances it was collected or how it's being used as a creator. You lose control. And so now here there's this tool. It's called Nightshade. It was developed by a team at the University of Chicago. And basically what it does is uh, it, it, it doesn't stop that scraping process from happening, but it allows you as a digital creator to poison the process. It's called data poisoning. And basically it puts in some random pixels into your photo. Not that anyone wouldn't be able to tell. In other words, you can't see it in the photo, but it's in the data. And then when uh, it gets scraped by these AI platforms, it essentially poisons the well so that uh, when you ask it to say, hey, you draw, a, you know, make, give me a picture of a dog, it puts cats or it, it does something. The results start going really wonky 
because it can't tell reality from non-reality, which is kind of interesting. We can't stop these big platforms from scraping this information, but if they're going to do it, we're certainly going to, it's almost like putting poison in the water. Lord knows what's going to happen afterward. It is an incredible turn uh, in terms of that power dynamic between little itty bitty creators like me and so many of our listeners who are probably also worried about their stuff that's out there. Uh, and these big companies that have essentially been doing this, this scraping process to train their tools with absolute impunity. They didn't ask permission. Uh, they didn't tell us what they were doing with it. They, they certainly aren't going to share their profits with us. Uh, and tools like this essentially say, you know what? We don't like what you're doing. Stop it. Is this tool going to be easily available for, for everyone? Oh, I'm sort of hoping so. Right now, it's still a research project from the university. So, uh, you know, I can't go to uh, an app store yet and download it. They've just proven the technology. But certainly, it's out there getting a lot of attention. If it is commercialized, there's no reason why at some point it can't become a website, a web service, an app on your iPhone or your Android device. So uh, I'm kind of hoping it does. There's a companion tool as well that they've released it's, or that they've developed. It's called Glaze. Uh, and that allows you to, what, they, what they, they say is, mask your own personal style to stop it from being scraped in the first place. So there are two sides to it. Nightshade poisons the well by inserting pixels, uh, invisible pixels into the process to basically mess up the training process. And Glaze essentially stops it from being scraped in the first place. But between the two of them, and the goal is to eventually combine them into one, um, they want to commercialize this and ultimately make it available broadly. And I can imagine the digital creative community, I uh, know and I'm a member of it, would certainly love to get their hands on something like this. But I, you know, I have to wonder out loud, Carmi, so you've got Glaze and Nightshade. Will, will they not come up with tools like Deglaze, a Nightshade Right. Yeah, it's it's almost like a never-ending game of cops and robbers, right? One tool gets developed to fix a problem that another tool gets developed to work around that fix. Um, and of course, there's nothing saying that a, a malicious actor or a malevolent actor, a terrorist, couldn't use this this tool for some kind of nefarious purpose. So you sort of want to be very careful about releasing something like this out into the wild, recognizing that no single technology is ever going to be the, the, the be-all, end-all of it. In other words, it doesn't end the conversation. It simply incentivizes someone else to come up with something to break it. So uh, superpower arms race comes to the digital space. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it always will be. But at the very least, for now, it kind of puts another tool in the, in the, in the pocket, uh, in the toolkit of digital creators, gives us something to think about, and frankly, forces the industry to think about the model that they've been using all along. Up until now, these large platforms have essentially had carte blanche going out onto the open internet, grabbing whatever data they can find and using it for their purposes without informing the creators of that content. So even if this tool is ultimately eclipsed, it has succeeded because it's gotten us talking about the very model that the AI industry is using to train its tools, uh, which frankly is uh, kind of illegal kind of immoral, kind of the wrong thing to do. Certainly not what you would, you would have learned in kindergarten, right? Ask permission first. These big companies aren't doing that. And I think this tool reminds us they need to. Moving on to our next story here on uh, Get Connected. This uh, brought a little bit of uh, hope into my heart. I think many listeners have received these calls uh, where someone has basically phoned your home 
and told you that your computer is infected and uh, they're there to help get rid of the the viruses on your system. And basically what happens is, uh, you know, they try to convince you to install uh, some uh, software onto your computer, which then gives them full access uh, to, to get all your information. It looks like now, though, Amazon, Microsoft, and India are cracking down on these tech support scams. You know, I, I like what, you know, I, I like where this is going, but I mean, there's so many of these little call centers that are, are doing this. Well, it's huge business, multi-billion dollar business. Uh, and uh, many of them are, of course, located in India. That's why Amazon and Microsoft teamed up with India's Central Bureau of Investigation to go after them physically, cross those borders, go across the ocean. Up until now, they've been uh, operating with relative impunity, figuring if they're targeting victims in, say, North America, including Canada, as well as Europe, then you know law enforcement certainly can't reach around halfway around the world and get them. Well, you know, once you partner up, you certainly can. And if we aren't victims ourselves, we all probably know someone who has been victimized or even if we haven't been, we've gotten those pop-up messages. Your computer is infected. Click here to remove it. Uh, and that, of course, starts the process uh, whereby you end up on the phone with someone who tries to convince you to install this software that lets them remotely control your machine. And then, of course, you're done. Um, so I think this is an important moment. The numbers are impressive at first glance. There's 76 locations uh, across various states in India that they have, in fact, taken down, seized a huge amount of hardware, uh, mobile phones, laptops, drives, SIM cards, uh, basically all the tools of this fraudulent trade. Uh, and I, it's an important first step, but we sh certainly shouldn't delude ourselves. That's 76 locations among probably thousands, if not tens of thousands. So, uh, you know, drop in the bucket, uh, but you got to start somewhere. And the fact that Amazon and Microsoft, which have largely been the two biggest brands that have been co-opted in these kinds of frauds. It's always someone calling from, you know, Amazon saying that you're, you know, you've, you've got an issue with your delivery and they'll help you, but you've got to install this or Microsoft, you know, your Windows machine has a virus on it. So they've lost the most in terms of brand integrity, heartening to see that they have made the effort uh, and built that kind of partnership to begin to start knocking this problem down to size. But no, the fight is nowhere near over, and it probably never will be, because I'm certain uh, those organizations that are being targeted in India, they're probably already adapting their methods, changing their approaches, moving to new locations, and setting up shop in a in a fresh office. It'll probably never end. At least they're trying to take a, a stab at it, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, kudos on them uh, for recognizing that it is an issue that affects huge numbers of people here in North America um, and that they're they're essentially trading on the trust that you and I have in these brands. I you know when I buy a Windows machine, I trust that Microsoft when they roll out an update, it's going to fix whatever problems I have and keep me secure. Same thing with with Amazon that when they communicate with me, it is for legitimate purposes to make sure that I get the stuff that I ordered, not anything else. And so you know that trust is absolutely critical in an e-commerce enabled world. I don't have a store that I can walk into to ensure that they are, in fact, who they say they are. This is all virtual. So if we can't trust uh, these individuals when they reach out to us, who can we trust? And so it's got to start somewhere. And I think they're recognizing that ultimately this could cause some pretty significant damage to their business. It is a well worthwhile investment for them. 
You are listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. We have uh, a cool contest going on. You could win an iPhone 15. All you have to do is go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com, to find out more information and to enter the contest. And there's ways to get additional entries uh, as well. So you will want to check that out. We are going to have to go to break. When we come back, we're going to talk about AI voices. Looks like YouTube's trying to do some deals with the uh, the record publishing companies to license popular artists' voices so that creators can uh, make new music from those artists. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. I've got Carmi Levy with me today. Uh, quick shout out to the contest, giving away an iPhone 15. Check out our website, getconnectedmedia.com to find out how to enter to win. It's pretty easy. Okay, let's uh, talk about YouTube and AI. They may soon let musicians on YouTube lend their AI voices to creators. Uh, the the big video platform, they're uh, trying to work with the recording companies, uh, according to uh, some sources. This is interesting, Carmi. I know a lot of uh, musicians, uh, artists are concerned about AI. We've seen some examples uh, already. Drake, you know, a, a very popular Canadian uh, musician. Uh, I've also heard a um, a song that uh, sounds just like Eminem, uh, you know, popular uh, rapper. And, I mean, this genie has left the ball. It looks like YouTube and the recording companies uh, are looking to to cash in on this and maybe maybe offer some control to it. Uh, if you can't beat him, you certainly want to join him. And that's what we're hearing in reports from both Billboard and Bloomberg that uh, YouTube, of course, owned by Alphabet, same company that owns Google, they are working on a uh, an artificial intelligence tool that can mimic the voice of a recording artist. We've seen demos of that where, you know, just based on a few seconds of training, Microsoft released a tool earlier this year, it can allow you to literally put that voice, have that voice say anything. So, you know, for example, an artist isn't even around. You can have them sing a song, read a script, act in a movie, whatever it is which sounds incredibly cool. The frightening thing here is in those, those examples that you shared, the Drake song, the Eminem song, in both of those cases, the original artist wasn't part of that process, wasn't asked for permission, uh, was not consulted in advance, was not uh, offered the opportunity to share in any of the profits, essentially lost control of their most important intellectual property, their very voice. And so what, uh, what uh, YouTube is seemingly trying to do here, they were supposed to have introduced it at their event in September, but they've run into some legal issues. They're walking a bit of a fine line. Um, is they're trying to legitimize the process. In other words, the technology is out there. It is available. It will be used by people whether we like it or not. So if you are a music publisher, how do you use it in a legal, morally, uh, ethically acceptable way? In other words, if you could get the artist to agree, if you could come up with appropriate monetization, make sure that the right people get paid the right amount, would it be acceptable to everyone? Could that be something that would work in the music industry uh, or even in the movie and television industry? Uh, you know, this technology works across all platforms. So they're still figuring that out now, more questions than answers. And that's why they haven't announced it officially. It's taking time because clearly uh, we know that this is an issue uh, that a lot of people are uncomfortable with because you're right. Once you let that genie out of the bottle, uh, and you allow AI to essentially take over from where humans uh, have, have performed for decades, forever, 
um, you know, where do you go and how do you stop the, the kinds of abuses that will inevitably happen? How do you rein in those malevolent actors from essentially stealing someone else's voice and using it for their own profit? It's complicated. Uh, you know, I, I just kind of, I'm just scratching the surface uh, of this, uh, you know, trying to understand, you know, where this, this could go. Uh, you know, it, it may sound simple. Okay. Give some money to the, uh, the artists, give some money to the, you know, recording company. What, but, you know, to your point, I mean, we've talked about this, these AI models that, you know, are basically the tool that would help you do this. They've been trained and they've been trained on these, artists music and so you know who gets monetization from that you know because a lot of times the artists are working with songwriters and so you know do you cut them in what about the other musicians on on those albums you know like the the folks that play the guitar and the drums and the keyboards are are they cut in as well because you know that's kind of uh you know part of the style of you know many artists music exactly so, and if, and if they've created value that then generates revenue. They should be part of the equation that ensures that everyone who is part of that operation, that 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 you know content creation process, is appropriately compensated and still has opportunity going forward to make more. Uh, you know, the problem here is, and you know, I, I'm conscious of the fact that even now, as we speak, our voices will be out there and can be used to train. Uh, so anything that we do digitally can yeah. be used by someone. So does that mean that? Someone's going to do radio and the voices of Mike and Carmi in future, and then Mike and Carmi won't have opportunity to do this kind of work. Um, the door is certainly open to that kind of thing if the right protections aren't put in place now. Uh, you know, we've already seen a lawsuit from a number of authors, including John Gershman, George R. R. Martin, against OpenAI for uh, using uh, that using uh, you know their content, their books, their their work. Uh, to train their models, uh, and they weren't asked permission or given uh, any revenue either. So, you know, huge ethical issues across the entire digital creator industry, the entire entertainment space. Uh, and right now, everyone's trying to figure out what model will work for me, but there isn't really any roadmap. We've never done this before, so everyone's just kind of, you know, poking around here, hoping they can figure it out. But it's it's probably not going to be figured out anytime soon, if at all. They're just way too many complexities here and way too many stakeholders and the technology is so incredibly sophisticated getting better by the day uh that you know by the time we even start to figure it out the technology will probably have leapfrogged even further we're going to have to take a break here on get connected so when we come back a lot of us uh you know have to take our computers uh, in for repair from time to time maybe even our smartphones how do you prevent the repair shop from going through all your private stuff well we'll tell you all about it you're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. We'll be back after this with me today. Don't forget to enter our contest. We're giving away an iPhone 15. This is a beautiful new phone from Apple. Fantastic uh, camera on it. All you have to do to enter, go to getconnectedmedia.com. And if you if you stick around till the end of the show, we've got some secret words uh, that uh, can get you extra entries to increase your chances to win this beautiful device. Carmi, let's uh, talk about uh, privacy when it comes to your information on your devices. CBC Marketplace recently uh, did uh, a story about uh, one of you know some of their uh, journalists taking uh, computers in and smartphones to repair shops uh, in the country and and checking to see if these uh, repair places were snooping in on their their private info. Uh, 
And I don't think you would be surprised with the results on that. <laughs> you and I would be surprised. No, I, I wasn't. Over half uh, of these cases, they the, the logging software that they had installed detected that, in fact, uh, private content, photos, videos, things like that had been accessed. And in a large number of cases, that data was, in fact, copied off of the device, off and onto a flash drive or a thumb drive, um, which... You know, having had, you know, my hardware fail in the past two, I've had to bring in my laptop for a failed screen. Uh, I've had to bring in and leave my phone also when it stopped working. So it's it's jarring because just like when you bring your car into the dealership or the mechanic, you trust that they're going to do right by you. They're going to focus only on the problem at hand and they're not going to take advantage uh, of their access to this device to, you know, steal your data. The, the, the scary thing with today's devices is, we have so much private information on them, both stored on them as well as accessible through the services and apps and browsers that are on them that they basically have the keys to the kingdom when they have them and we have to trust them. And based on th this particular uh, investigation, uh, we have reason not to trust them. And that's the kind of thing that keeps me up at night. It's kind of scary because, uh, you know, if you look at these uh, results of this uh, investigation, um, yeah, there was a lot of these shops that, you know, went through, uh, you know, these customers uh, browsing history, their photos. One place actually copied a bunch of the photos onto a USB key. Like, <laughs> that's, that's crazy. That is like, that's stealing. It's exactly. It is. It is stealing. It's, it's, it's an incredible violation, right? It's, it's, it's like the plumber comes to your house to fix your sink, um, but instead rifles through your drawers. Uh, and, and you know, you know, has access to your, the most intimate aspects of your private life. What does one have to do with the other? If my screen is broken on my laptop, why is someone rifling through my personal photos and copying them off to a flash drive? I think, you know, obviously that has nothing to do with the reason I brought the device in in the first place. And as a, 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 a you know, a professional uh, level of, of uh, service delivery, it clearly falls short. Um, and so I think the industry has to answer for itself. Um, and quite frankly, I think we need better standards of care for when we bring our devices in. We have them in other industries. You know, when you bring your car into the dealership, there's there's a, an acceptable standard of care that they will not take the car to a track and race it, um, you know, and things <laughs> like that. But, but interestingly, a lot of cars now have like, you know, Tesla have sentry mode and a lot of cars have onboard cameras. We're starting to see some mechanics there getting busted for behaving in ways they probably shouldn't. So, you know, I think it's reasonable uh, for us as consumers that if we do need to seek service for our devices, we probably have to ask ourselves the question, how do we protect ourselves? Should we be installing logging software like this on all of our devices just in case they need service? I think maybe we need to revisit our uh, unbridled trust uh, of service organizations because there are enough crooked ones out there. Over half of the cases involved uh, data being accessed and and shared and stored when they had no right to do so. Um, the numbers are large enough that I think as consumers, we need to take ac action to protect ourselves. So I, I think a lot of listeners would be horrified, uh, you know, hearing uh, about this investigation because, you know, you know, many of us have had to take our devices in uh, for repair. What are some things, let's talk about that, uh, Carmi, on how we can prevent this from happening. Yes, of course, we want to trust uh, these places. And I think this is a wake-up call for the industry in, in general. But uh, what are some of your thoughts there? 
I think that, you know, first we have to recognize that our devices uh, store huge amounts of private information. We also have to be conscious of that, that the sensitivity, we're just not conscious of that sensitivity. We'll, we'll hand our smartphone over to a stranger because they need to make a call without recognizing that, you know, they might in fact grab our data when we aren't even looking. So same thing with, with bringing it in for a pair, we have to recognize just how much is at risk here and take steps before we bring the device in to minimize that exposure. So the first thing I would do is I would delete those social media apps that access because social media, of course, is a vector, uh, a channel towards some very private information. Just ditch the apps entirely. Um, that way they can't sign in. And there were examples of those apps being used. I would also look at where I store my, my, my private information. So things like documents and photos and videos, rather than having them stored on the, the device itself, think about storing them on cloud services and then cutting off that access to those cloud services when you bring it in for service for repair. So, you know, do your best in advance to minimize the amount of information and the amount of open apps and services that are sitting on the device so that when you bring it in, sure, they might go snooping, but they're not going to find anything. But that takes planning. It takes a change in behavior. Um, and as we've seen many times before, most of us aren't willing to make that effort. But we really should, because the risk of our data falling into the wrong hands by someone who essentially has the keys to the kingdom is a lot higher than we thought it would be. And we need to start thinning out the data on our devices as a means of protection. Yeah, there, there are other options uh, out there to prevent uh, people from snooping uh, in, in your stuff. Uh, you could also password protect, uh, you know, private folders on, on your computer, whether that's uh, Windows uh, or Mac. There's different... Uh, you know, pieces of software out there. Uh, you, you know, one that uh, I haven't tested this myself, uh, but someone recommended it to me is uh, Seven Dash Zip. It's like an open source zip compression utility, um, but it you know it will password protect you know your your pictures folder for for example, so that you know no one can get in there without uh, with that password. I mean, you can do what CBC Marketplace did as well. You can install monitoring software on your device <laughs> as well to see. Uh, I, I would do it in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Yeah. Just to, you know, and that would basically tell you if they got into your info or not. But I mean, that's obviously going to tell you after the fact that they've done it, right? So <laughs> like that's... Yeah, it's yeah. kind of a little late. The horse is already out of the barn, but, but at yeah. least you know, and yeah. at least it gives you recourse so that if they in fact do end up snooping on your device, you have evidence that you can bring to them um, yeah. and use against them if you do want to action this afterward. I mean, you could also tell them uh, when you bring it in, hey, I've got monitoring software on here uh, just to protect my my private information. It's like putting yeah. those alarm yeah. signs on your front lawn, right? Exactly. And get it in writing, right? Like oftentimes, you know, when I'm signing up a work order at the beginning, when I leave a device for repair, um, I'll actually put it down. You have to sign off on something. Um, and so it's on their system that they know. Um, and it sends a very clear message that they know they're being watched and they've got to you know, live up to that standard of care or there's going to be a problem. And I think that's, it's that awareness. I think most consumers simply aren't paying attention to this, but with a little bit of attention, you can go a long way toward ensuring that everybody does what they're supposed to and behaves in an appropriate manner. You are tuned in to Get Connected. Mike Eggerbo here with Carmi Levy. Don't forget to go to our contest page, getconnectedmedia.com, giving away an iPhone 15 this uh, week. This is a, a beautiful new phone from uh, Apple, fantastic uh, camera, great graphics, 
getconnectedmedia.com. And if you stick around to the end of the show, we've got a secret word for you as well to get uh, some extra entries to increase your chances to win. We are going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking with the folks over at Intel on how they're incorporating AI into their latest processors. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. We are back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Don't forget to enter our contest this week, giving away an iPhone 15. All you need to do is go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com, to get more information on uh, how to enter. Let's uh, get into the latest in processors now. And when you think processors, uh, of course, one of the uh, the biggest uh, processor companies in the world would have to be Intel. We're going to learn about uh, the latest uh, Intel Core 14th generation uh, desktop processor. We've uh, got Denny uh, Gaudreau on the line. Thanks for gen- uh, joining us, Denny. Yeah, Mike, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So uh, you uh, technology marches on. You've got uh, the the latest uh, version on. What what are some of the key features of this uh, this new uh, generation of uh, processor for the listeners out there? Uh, so basically, the 14th gen is our latest uh, step in innovation with uh, within our hybrid core architecture. Basically, we have like P core, E cores, and when you look uh, with this new family, so you're getting a, a six new unlocked processor. So that at launch, that will go up to uh, 24 cores, 32 threads, up to six gigahertz. Uh, I'm pretty sure some of you remember when we break the one gigahertz barrier. So now we're breaking the six gigahertz barrier, barrier so, which is uh, making it the uh, the world fastest uh, desktop processor in the world. So, yeah. So so why do people need all those cores? Like what, what does it mean to kind of the average uh, person out there? Yeah, so basically when we look at the uh, usage of what people do with their PC, right? So uh, you, you have a lot of people who like gaming, right? So it's kind of a big, big, big usage of PC. Also, all the content creation, so kind of a, 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 those are power user, right? So when you look at all the core we have available, that will already match what people do with their PC, whereas like your power users, but also with the e-core, which is more like energy efficient core. So that will, will uh, let your PC handle all the stuff going on in the background. And as we know with the pandemic, so more and more people working from home and uh, 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 studying from home. So, and a lot of people discover, I would say like all the Zoom, the teams are doing more and more video conferencing. So, which is can pretty heavy on the, the platform. So, and while you do all your conferencing, you still can run all your application, foreground, background, gaming, whatever it is, right? Without any compromise on your performance. So that's kind of why you need all those scores now. I, I know a lot of people, and even myself, uh, I'm a tech guy, so I've got a, a few computers uh, kicking around. But some of them are getting a little uh, long in the tooth. Uh, I think some of my laptops are like four years old, uh, but they still seem to be running okay. Uh, You know, will people notice a a big difference in in, in speed and performance going to a, a newer one? And absolutely. So when you look at like like I said, this is the ultimate platform for content creator, gamer, like power user, right? So when you look with that that generation. So user can go like get up to 23%. So versus leading competitor of performance. So you'll see because it's not just the CPUs, the overall platform, right? So increasing memory bandwidth, all the IO, Thunderbolt full with uh, the platform is Wi-Fi 7 compatible. So and also come with bunch of software that will work in conjunction with the application, but also with the OS to make it more uh, performant that you get better out of your uh, platform. So it's kind of the overall platform that I've been 
upgrade with that 14th generation. If, uh, you know, some of the listeners out there, they've, um, you know, got an existing system, can they upgrade uh, with the, the new chip? And that's a good question. And the answer is yes, absolutely. So basically, as you may know, some of your uh, audience may know, so when we we launched the 12th gen, the 13th gen, so those were based on the 600 and 700 series chipset. So if you have any uh, platform based on those two series of chipset, so you can upgrade to the latest uh, 14 generation of desktop processor. You just do a BIOS upgrade on your system. So the socket is fully compatible and you should be up and running without any problem. So, I mean, you, you could essentially take the old chip out and put the new one in? Correct, correct. So you upgrade your BIOS, kind of like the software that recognizes the new CPU with all the features, and you just swap and you're ready to go. Absolutely. Uh, from what I understand, uh, you've also got support for uh, the latest Wi-Fi uh, uh, with it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of our first platform where we're going to be supporting Wi-Fi 7. But as we all know, it's kind of a big, big improvement, right? Versus Wi-Fi 6 or 6E. So kind of moving from kind of 2.4 gigabit to 5.8 gigabit per second with way, way lower, like almost 10 times lower latency. So uh, like 7, Wi-Fi 7 is a big improvement. So it's almost like made the uh, the Ethernet connection, the wire connection obsolete. So, yeah. Uh, and so when you say you support the, wi- uh, the Wi-Fi, is that built into it? So it's not built into it. Because the uh, the Wi-Fi specs are out, got it. So yes, just recent, right? Yeah, platform is ready for it. Yeah, so you can put a discrete Wi-Fi seven card. The platform will be fully compatible with supporting that new standard because the card will come so a little bit uh, earlier in twenty four, right? So I I know for some listeners it uh, it you know sometimes gets confusing. Uh, you know when they want a new uh, PC, they go into a computer store. And there's a lot of choice uh, <laughs> in some of these uh, these stores. Well, what what are some of the you know the things they should be looking for? So when you look, at, as you know, right at Intel or what kind of the the different family of processor we have is like your Core i nine, Core i seven, Core i five, right? Which leave you kind of a, as you go with the Core i nine, so which is our latest generation with the most feature and specs in it, to i seven with the best feature and spec, to the i five with less feature and spec. So first thing is they should be looking, so the, the frequency, they should be looking for the number of cores they're going to do with the platform on top of the, what kind of the, I would say, IO or connection they want to use with the platform, right? If they're planning to use multiple IO, can be USB device, can be USB-C device, if they want to use Thunderbolt, like if they want to use external hard drive with the platform, multiple monitors. So all of those platforms will offer you different type of connection, whether it's the desktop or laptop platform, right? So they really have to look at it. And again, if they are a power user, they do a lot of content creation, like uh, 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 creating movies or playing with pictures, photos, or like gigmers, for sure they should go with kind of the higher end of, or a line of product line like with the Core i9 or with the Core i7. So that's where they're going to get the best performance for what they want to do. Uh, I want to talk about uh, uh, another thing that's uh, possible with uh, processors, uh, your processors. Uh, it's called overclocking. Can you explain to the listeners uh, what that means? Yeah, so basically when you have a platform, you run at a basic specs, right? What is the frequency of the CPU, the speed of the CPU, and also all the voltage, basically, that the current that's going to the platform to power the platform. So what overclocking allows you is basically that you can customize your CPU, your platform, to extract, I would say, more juice from it so that you get better performance, right? 
And and back in the day, some of you may recall, right? We have to go go in the BIOS and play with all the setting with the multipliers and to get higher frequency for the memory, for the CPUs, higher voltage and everything. So a couple of weeks ago, a week, years ago, we introduced more like a software tools. You, you like you, you stay in Windows, you don't need to go to the BIOS and you can play with the different multipliers and give a little bit more uh, performance to your platform, right? But it was still kind of a tricky. With the, the Gen 14 platform, what we did is we introduced on top of the, uh, we call it extreme Intel Extreme Tuning uh, uh, software. So now you can have its AI assist. Basically, you run the software and the software will kind of look at the uh, characteristic of your platform. So what kind of CPU you have, what kind of memory, motherboards, what kind of cooling that you have, what are the capabilities from a power delivery of your platforms. And based on that AI model that we have built in, which is based on thousands of contributions of system, it will make recommendation to you and say, hey, this is how we can increase your frequency from this, uh, 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 I don't know, from, from 6 to 6.3. So your memory uh, uh, voltage, and say simply apply, and within like a few seconds, your system is completely overclocked and without any getting any blue screen or any issue because it's all AI assist. So we're way more simple than it used to be. Well, I, I know in the past overclocking uh, was kind of in the realm of, uh, you know, uh, the uh, the ultra nerds, uh, but can can normal people do this now? Absolutely. You just <laughs> download the application, uh, the utility, and you click, like I said, so uh, AI assist, and it will look at the profiles and recommend to you and say apply, that's it, done. It's that easy. And uh, these uh, these uh, these new chips are available now? Correct. Yes. From multiple vendors, yes. So on different platform. yes. We've been talking with uh, Denis Gaudreau from uh, Intel. He's the country manager here in Canada about the, uh, the latest generation of Intel uh, core, uh, the 14th core uh, of uh, processors. Uh, I, I want to really thank you for uh, joining us on the program today. You do mind. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Don't forget to uh, hit our website, uh, getconnectedmedia.com. We're giving away in, uh, an iPhone uh, 14. And there's a chance uh, to win extra entries or get extra ballots to increase your uh, odds. Two ways. Uh, one, we've uh, got a little pop quiz up on the website. Uh, so if you've been listening, uh, it's one of the, the extra ways is... Uh, about Intel's newest processors. What are they called? A, Intel, the next generation. B, Generation X. C, Intel Core 14th Gen. Or D, Project Z. And uh, one extra way is uh, the secret word this week. The secret word is Taylor, as in Taylor Swift. So go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com. I want to thank all the folks that helped put the show together. This is Mike Agarbo signing off. We'll see you again next time.